It's week two of my trip here to Houston, and that means St. Arnold Brewery. It's the oldest craft brewery in Houston and a Texas staple. Head of Brewing Operations, Aaron Inkrot, joins me to talk about climbing the brewery ladder and running a brewery with the kind of local mind share that St. Arnold wields. Aaron Inkrot, I'm the Brewing Operations Manager for St. Arnold. Okay, what does that mean? Um, good question. Brewing Operations Manager oversees oversees our head brewer, our lead shift brewers, and our shift brewers. Um, that's, that's we're responsible for work production, beer fermentation, and uh, centrifugation and filtration. Um, I also do all the raw material. Uh, Inventory checks. Uh, I select the materials that we use to brew with, that including grain as well as hops. And work on production scheduling and also manage the barrel aging program. Okay. Let's see. Um, so you do a lot. Like you do all the you do all the beer stuff here, but I, to the extent that I you're, oversee it, more yeah, or you're less. not a, you don't get to be a brewer no, anymore. I, not, this scale. not anymore. I haven't done a batch. In, I did a couple batches this year. Okay. And that was covering shifts and things. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, to give everyone a sense of scale of this brewery, so let's see. St. Arnold's is the second biggest brewery in Texas, if you're, uh, as long as you're counting as independent breweries. I'm not sure where Carbach lies or anything uh, like that. I guess you if you want to go base off the BA definition, technically Shiner is a is within the craft definition in their million plus, I believe. Yeah. Uh, since Carbox got acquired, they're... Technically, no longer the umbrella, but I think they're around eighty or ninety thousand barrels. Okay. We'll, we'll hit right around seventy this year. Okay. Yeah. Cool. When I started, we were just poking at thirty. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. I, I remember coming at the, coming to the tour. You know, all those years ago, back when you guys did tours here exclusively, you mm-hmm. couldn't have. There was no brew pub. There wasn't even food being served yet. You nope. couldn't buy beer by the pint. Correct. Um, and you have, so the, the period over which you've been overseeing is like the, is that the law changing, the licensing changing, mm. all this stuff, and then St. Arnold is just like plowing through. Yeah. Um, so you, you've seen a lot of stuff go on here. Yeah. Um, and I think I looked it up yesterday. In 2017, yeah, you guys brewed somewhere around that 70. Uh, 2017 70K. was 64, 65, yeah. yeah. And then I, I think, remember. and Shiner was doing half a million. Oh, yeah, take. Um, anyway, just in case you were curious. Uh, I, um, let's see. So anyway, um, yeah, so a lot has changed. Okay, but let's, let's go back to the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about, about you specifically. So how did you get into beer? You said you started brewing with, or you, you were brew, home brewing with Brian, you know, a, a while ago. Um, my first experience with the term home brewing was when I was... I grew up in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, headquarters for Phillips 66 Petroleum. That's where my my dad worked for forever. My oldest brother-in-law, who's 11 years older than me, came came home to visit, and he brewed a batch of beer in his his dorm room. And he brought these homemade labels, these homemade beers. That's kind of where I learned that, oh, you can make beer at home on a small scale. Fast forward 
I got into beer when I was in college, like most people. Uh, my first was a kegger party or of some type, which didn't really care for the beer. But then there was a small brew pub where I went to school. I went to school at Rutgers in New Jersey. And there's a brew pub called Harvest Moon. That's what I kind of understood is what brew pubs were. And like making, making beer and selling to the public. And at the time, my main interest, at the, I, I have a, a degree in music theory, so I was a musician. I really enjoyed playing live and sharing a passion and all, this, and all that stuff. And here was this brewer that was essentially doing the same thing. So I could have this symbiotic relationship with what he creates and what I create. So I ended up working at a pub right next door to it, and I was a bartender for there, and we served a lot of kind of craft-focused beers. That was my introduction into a lot of different flavors and different local breweries. There was a place called Stuff Your Face, which was a calzone place where you tried, you tried to folk, try to drink different beers and you get a T-shirt, stuff like that. So that was, and that was all when I was 21, 22 years old. <clears throat> Still playing music, did a lot of worked in New York as a recording engineer and recording studio. So, but I would always try beer. Um, then I moved home, moved to Houston. That's where my parents were at at the time. It's just kind of transition from New York to here. It was easier. Uh, costs were cheaper, obviously, um, but there was a burgeoning scene for recording engineers in Austin and Houston. So, kind of took advantage of that. But as I worked in the music industry, just kind of got tired of it. Didn't really think the whole not about the music man kind of thing was, I was agreeing with that. And I found that being a brewer, there was this marriage of being the recording engineer and the musician. I could be both. I could be the brewer, but I could also create the recipe and, and then share it with the public. So. That marriage, like, did just really run with me. And uh, so I started volunteering at breweries. No label was one. Started playing here in, 20, in 2009. <clears throat> yeah, started as a volunteer here as well, just playing on the Saturday tours. Eventually gave, started doing the tours as a tour guide. And the way this place kind of works, as with most craft breweries, is put your face out there and show passion for not only the beer, but the company as well, and exude that passion, and people recognize it, and there's a job that came up for a brewer, and I got it. There it is. Okay. So your path, like a lot of, a lot of brewers are the, like, I'm a home brewer. I'm going to start a brewery. Like, that's yeah. how they get into the industry, and yeah. that's, that is one way to get tossed into the yeah, world. Yeah, it's... Most people that I've met in this industry had some previous professional experience of something else. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of professional brewing schools. Mm -hmm. There's a handful now in the United States, but in, in Europe, beer is so ingrained when you're younger that you can be 16 and enjoy beer and realize by the time you're done with preliminary school and you want to go to a trade school, it's like, no, I'm going to go become a brewer. Like People kind of have a, a more path towards brewing in Europe, in my opinion, than they do in the United States. And that's mostly because of the alcohol laws. Yeah. Drinking. That makes sense. Yeah. So for other, so the advice you'd give to other brewers who kind of want to break into this, or for other potential brewers, is what you just said, sort of, you know, start off volunteering, put your face out there, show the passion for it. There's a, there's a lot of places that look for 
bartenders and they hire from within. I am more likely to, to hire from within than go out mm-hmm. um, because people that are, are here now are passionate about beer, but they're also passionate about St. Arnold. So that's what I want. Those, those are the people that I want on the team. Okay. That makes sense. Um, this is the only brewery you had like, um, like sort of professional experience at? That's correct. Okay. Because you had worked at, you said you were like yeah. homebrewing at Brian, but that's not yeah. the same. No. Okay. Cool. So you wouldn't really have any insight as to what the, uh, what maybe the difference is working here and working at a smaller scale or perhaps even larger scale brewery is. Like what are maybe some of the unique aspects about working here? I mean, we, considering our size, we do have some automation. Yeah, there's less, there's less manual valve turning, um, but the importance on the quality of the beer is, I would emphasize even greater because we reach a greater community than, than smaller breweries. Um, and that's also because we can afford the equipment to measure those, to measure those, a, a different level of quality, basically. Mm-hmm. How far, where, where can you get St. Arnold's? All over Texas and Louisiana. Okay. I was going to say, I don't know. I obviously have never seen it in Seattle. There yeah. would have been, there was, I, I've got this like vague feeling that I saw, oh, you know what? You guys have been at um, a couple of beer fests up there that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, we, we typically always send Pumpkinator up to Elysian That's Pumpkin right. Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we continue to do that. I don't know that I saw you last time. Um, I think we stopped after they were yeah. acquired. Mm-hmm. That's something I want to talk a little bit about is a little, but some of that, you know, we'll talk industry and we'll talk a little bit about uh, the, some AB and Bev stuff, um, especially as re, re, um, re, with respect to Carbach, especially, because uh-huh. um, I bet that might, may, that might make you feel a little, you might be a little sour about that, which might be fun to talk about. Um, but you know what? Yeah, you know what? Since we're there, let's go ahead and talk okay. about it. So uh, usually I save it towards the end. Well, yeah, Carbach just got bought. They are yeah, more or less the same scale as y'all. Is that uh-huh. right? Um, they, I guess they just got bought. What was it? Three years ago? Um, Is that long ago? Maybe two. Maybe two. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, what does that feel like? What are your thoughts on that? I imagine you got something rolling around your head, and I bet yeah. you're, I bet you're worried about not coming off as like a church. No, 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 no I'll be. Breweries. I'll be honest. Uh, I know fair amount of those guys over there and I wouldn't call them I, I don't know them well enough to call them a friend but I I, I respect what they do they they put out quality beer because they can um, which which is good um, I know Eric Warner I reach out to him on several occasions for advice on how do they do this how do you do that um, I think it's I, we are who we are because of what, because the public has allowed us to be that. We've presented a product that we would hope that they would enjoy and consume, and they have. And with that, they've, we've grown because they've continued to buy our beer. Um, so we are nothing without the public, and, and we are nothing because of, without Houston. Texas, etc. So it's, I find it, them selling out is, that's their prerogative. They, they have different goals in mind than St. Arnold has in mind, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So our focus is to 
is to share a beer with Houston, to share a beer with Texas and Louisiana, and grow, and grow with that relationship. We sell 75% of our volume in Houston. We know where, where, where our growth came from. So that's our focus. And our owner is, he loves being independent. He loves being a part of the brewery. He's, he's here pretty much every day. It's, that's our focus is to, is to be home and share the beer with people around us. And that's our focus. And I think in Carbox and other people that have sold, I think their focus was just different. I can't answer to what their focus was, but it was just different than ours. Okay. That might be the most PC way I can approach <laughs> that question. <laughs> you know what? No one's really ever had an answer that I liked. Some people get really heated about it, but there are often people who have nothing. They're not, I don't know, whatever. Anyway. I, I know those guys. I, can, I enjoy drinking beers with them and talking shop, and that's, that's kind of where it's at. That's fair enough. You mentioned the owner, um, Brock, right? Mm-hmm. He's the owner. Um, I think I came here a while back and got a tour from him Probably. back when he was doing those, if he still does those. Mm-hmm. And um, First yeah, so, weekend of every month, he still gives the tour. Oh, sweet. Okay, that's yeah. okay. you hear that. The first weekend of every month, that's the time <laughs> to come on this tour so you can meet the guy, meet the man. Um, what is, give, give us some of the background. So we're talking, like, let's talk about, like, the origins of the brewery, you know, whatever you know. Yeah. And talk about the St. Arnold brand, what, you know, who the, who St. Arnold is, you know, some of the history. Give us the story. So Brock's family history has ties to beer. His great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather or something like that owned the oldest pub somewhere around San Francisco or something like that. So that was, I believe, his first connection to beer. Um, grew up in Ohio. Spent some time in Belgium. Um, went to school at Rice here in Houston. And he went into finance after he graduated. But he probably had one of the best homebrewing mentors that any individual ever possibly could have, George Fix. George Fix wrote a couple books on brewing chemistry. And you can you type in brewing chemistry on Google, it'll come up with George Fix. It's, he's, he was the chemist for brewing. And that's who Brock's mentor was when it came to, okay. <laughs> came to homebrewing. I'm trying to remember what book of his I might have read or maybe have on my shelf if I haven't read it yet. Um, I, I can imagine the cover of it if it is it's actually got molecule, his book. It's got molecules and it says brewing chemistry. Okay, it's, okay. It's, it's from the... It's, I can't remember the time, or like the first printing of it, but it's in the 80s. Okay. Like that. I don't think I have that one then. I have not read that one. But anyway, go on. Funny story going back to my homebrewing experience. My brother-in-law had that book when he was homebrewing. So having that kind of connection just, just feels good. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that is really cool. Um, the so, small world of brewing. Yeah, correct. If very small world. Yeah. Um, so he started Rice homebrewing there and enjoyed it. Uh, he got to work with George Fix on that. Then he went into finance. I believe it was just shy of a decade. And he realized, like, well, this is – I don't want to do finance. And I'm in the largest city in the country – that doesn't have a microbrewery. Sounds like a really good place to build a business plan and open a microbrewery. And that was in 94 when, uh, June of 94 when St. Arnold opened, we used our, we opened with Amber Ale. And it's a, still a beer that we make to this day. It's won an award at GABF this last year. So it's, it's still great to see a beer like that still Still, still important. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. That is really cool. <laughs> um, your brewery is really special. Maybe it's uh, it's it's probably not special only to me, but it's really special to me. And I think it's got something to do with the this like God. There's a word. There's got to be a word for sort of the presence that y'all that your brand has, right? You mentioned your connection with Houston. It sort of has like. This building is imposing. It's not imposing, but it's impressive. Everything about it is um, high ceilings. You've got the new beer garden over there that you built into a chapel, which is yeah. hilarious and just amazing. Um, St. Arnold's, it, it feels like it comes with the history. When you just read it and you look at it, you, you think of drinking the beer, and it sort of, and it's really only might be my experience, but it feels like it, the brand carries a lot of weight and like gravitas, you know, I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with being the oldest brewery and I think it Texas. helps being yeah. around for 24 years that we can kind of carry that weight. Yeah. Um, somebody that opened up a year ago can't really, yeah. can't really do that. But, uh, yeah. I, I, so when I, when I first started here, there was five breweries in Houston, I think, and now there's 50. Yeah. And growing. And it's an interesting industry that, I mean, you doing your podcast, you see that in Seattle and Portland. There's just, those are considered meccas of homebrewing or microbreweries just because of how many are in, your, in those cities. It's, it's an odd competitive friendship that breweries have with each other, um, constantly learning from each other and kind of growing from that, making each other's beer better because. We are a small percentage of the market. I think in, 90, in uh, 2017, we were just 1%. St. Arnold was 1% of all the beer consumed in Houston. So, sure, we're large, we are a, a regional sized microbrewery or a craft brewery, but considering all the beer consumed in Houston, it's still, we're still pretty freaking small. So, yeah. it's, but, so the sec, uh, success of others, in my opinion, has the benefit of our success as well because that makes consumers more aware of craft beer yeah where we're located. that's a good way to look at it i was just thinking because you know the way you're saying there's so many breweries opening up and i was just reading that most of the growth in the craft beer sector is sort of going to these new breweries that open because what happens is they brew you know 300 barrels a year and three of them open a day so well they're like, tap rooms there are yeah. these local tap rooms that people can ride their bike or Take their kid on a scooter too, and park. And it's neighborhood breweries are, are awesome. I think yeah. it's definitely added to the awareness of, of small breweries. I was talking to Southern Southern Star last time I was here, and they were talking about how it's getting. And you know what? No label also sort of shared this sentiment was that it's getting harder and harder to get that shelf space here. So, what do you think about that? Oh, that's definitely true. Um, real estate on a shelf is kind of the branding of it's kind of like the neon neon sign like hey no we're here but if you have more shelf space then people are more aware of you um i mean i think kind of not to distract from the the retail or shelf space question i think the age of just the regional size brewery is gone um, making 20 30,000 barrels of beer for a young brewery if if they're designing their business plan off of that, I would stray them away from that. Not that I want to tell them that you're not going to succeed or that you won't that it won't happen. I just think the likelihood of it happening is not. Um, because the growth in this industry are these small tap rooms. And the 
the placement for the, for becoming a regional craft breweries. There's those breweries already exist, and they're the ones taking up that shelf space. And more, there's more, there's more uh, outside breweries that are coming in that are leaving because of that. They're having old beer sit on the shelf. Highly respectable breweries that are that came in and now left. Ninkasi is the the first one I think of that because it's close to where you're at. And not that they're a bad brewery, they're not. They're, they they make great beer, but it just they're, sat here. they're shrinking. They're, they yeah. just sat here. I think year over or yeah, in, in 2017 they they shrunk 20 yeah. percent in terms of barrel, you know, barrelage. And it's I think a Firestone Walker, freaking fabulous brewery, but. If you're sat here. I mean, they're not pulling up, but they're pulling out some brands. And it kind of, this, this discussion kind of leads me into another discussion. I'm, I'm sorry to go on No, tangents. go on, please. I think, I love local breweries. But just because it's local doesn't mean it's good. It just means it's fresher. But, again, these, in, in markets like this where craft beer is still relatively new, in my opinion, we have about one, one chance with a, a consumer to come in and try a beer, and if they's like, no, that's disgusting. The likelihood of that person to trying a small craft brewery again is not likely. So these, lo these local breweries that open up and serve mediocre beer, it's kind of like, don't do that. We don't have, so, we don't have all these chances to grow as a community if you're serving piss poor beer. So... Hearing these other breweries that are uh, that I admire having to leave because their shelf space is being taken over by other local breweries, it's just like that fucking local brewery sucks. It's just I'm not I'm not going to name names even if, even if you're yeah. going to ask me, but it's it is a real problem not just in Houston or Texas. It's a real problem countrywide. So it's important to know that just because it's local doesn't mean it's good. That's fair. I, I, and I completely agree. There's plenty of places up in Seattle where, like, the, my, my sort of rule is I'll go to a brewery six months after it opens. I never go right when it opens because they're not going to brew good beer their first couple of batches. It just never happens. Yeah. And then I will go that first time, and if it's bad, then I, I won't even consider revisiting for another six months. And I spend a lot of time at breweries. And, you, you know, for all, oh, the yeah. beer, for all the beer I drink. Sounds like you do, so. <laughs> yeah. For all the beer that I drink, uh, it, me not making it around your brewery in six months is like, well, I'm sorry. Sucks to suck. But, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It sucks to suck. So, it's. Yeah. yeah so, I'm right there with you on that one. And, um, I, yeah. And I, I, do, I do love the local brewery thing. I value the independent brewery a lot. I. Um, but yeah, and I, and, I don't, and I don't think that breweries that don't brew good beer are going to stay on the shelves for long. No. But that's not the problem. What, the problem is you're saying that you have one bad craft beer and you're sort of off it. Um, especially when you're saying 99% of beer drank in Houston is not St. Arnold's, right? It's not yeah. going to and, and maybe if the rest of all the breweries put up another 1% between them, which is yeah. probably about right, um, then, then maybe Shiner's got a percent or two they, there. Yeah, they should, they've probably got a few percentage points yeah. in there. But again, it's... We only have, we have one chance with new consumers, pretty much. What can breweries do? What can brewers do as a collective to to make sure that one shot is good, though? Be honest with yourself. <laughs> 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 I, I, so, I mean, I, 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 you know, but now with the status of the industry and that it is. A reputable industry now and that there's 
seven plus thousand breweries out there that if you're building a brewery, don't don't be afraid to ask for help. Because there's a reason why those breweries were successful. Don't just I mean, I'm living the home brewer's dream right now, for sure. So I I'm not gonna tell a home brewer to say, you know, don't open the brewery, so your beer's not gonna be any good. I'm not gonna tell them that, but I will tell them, ask for help. And yeah, be honest with your beer. Because if it does suck, the the consumer will know and you will no longer be around. <laughs> All right, fair <laughs> enough. Um you so let's talk about the, the beer y'all brew here. So I because I imagine you're pretty familiar with it. What are some of the things you mentioned? The uh, the amber that you started with that was kind of your flagship for a while. Now what's what's the portfolio look like? I think uh, balance is synonymous with St. Arnold. You're not going to have a surviving business if only if you if someone comes in and just drinks one pint of your beer. If they drink a pint of it, it's like yeah, it's good, but I don't need any more of it. It's no, you got to survive a business by them buying a six pack and then coming back and buying a six pack. And I think our art in that is creating the balance. Amber Ale is, we advertise it as perfectly balanced. Um, it's got a nice malt backbone, <clears throat> uses uh, our House St. Arnold yeast strain, which is kind of akin to an English, uh, nice fruity esters, um, some crystal malt to add some nice malt sweetness, and then a balanced IBU. Um, again, just a perfectly balanced beer. When we make an IPA, we do want the hops to be at the forefront, but if you're assaulted with hop bitterness and it lingers on your palate, the likelihood of you ordering another pint is not likely. So we keep that balance always in at the forefront of when we're designing a recipe. Sure, there's beers like Pumpkinator, which is a, an aggressive imperial stout with pumpkin and spices, and the spices are up, up front, but there's a great chocolate stout backbone associated with it. Most pumpkin beers that I've had are a low ABV brown ale that packed full of pumpkin and packed full of spices that, okay, I get pumpkin, but there's nothing behind it. And uh, we always want to make sure that there's something behind whatever we're designing. Quick, quick, um, quick aside about your pumpkinator. The stupidest thing I ever did uh, <laughs> regarding your pumpkinator. I think I was, we, we all might have a story of pumpkinator. <laughs> I was at the Elysian Beer Fest. This was probably the last year before they sold out. Okay. Um, and of course, all my friends go every year, so I usually wind up going anyway, even though it, I, it usually hurts my soul. Um, but they, uh, um, you guys were there, and I had I brought a pumpkin, a full-sized pumpkin that I wore as a hat. <laughs> I just carved the bottom off. And after a few pumpkinators, because of course I walked right out, I was like, shit, General's here, what the fuck? And I lost my mind and <laughs> uh, you know, had a couple of those, spent all my tokens on those guys. And... Um, Eventually, though, a few pumpkinators in, pumpkin hat comes off, becomes the pumpkin chalice. I'm running around like, hey, can you pour this beer in here? And like, and it only took a couple of tries before some, like before I found some people who would like, yeah, sure, and they'd fill it up, and they might put like four or five little sampler pours in there instead of just a little one. And I went back to the pumpkinator, St. Arnold stall at the end of the night, and said, hey, can I, can I fill this pumpkin with pumpkinator? And they went, yeah, sure. Tonk, open up the tap panel, liter or so, and oh. probably at least on a pumpkinator, which is no joke. Like not a series, not a beer you can drink a liter of. And, Nor uh, should you. 
And, Whether uh, you can or not. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I went. I went around sharing it because everyone could then dunk into the yeah. into the pumpkin chalice and fill up their little sampler cups and and move along. But I probably did wind up drinking like a full couple of glugs, you know, right out of this huge pumpkin. Uh, yeah, mistakes were oh, made a, that night. I don't know. That's a good story. I, I made it home, but only barely. Well, you're here now. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, who knows? A couple of brain cells short, but yeah, technically. <laughs> um, anyway, we're talking. We're, we're talking a bit more about your beers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So balance is. I think balance is the key. And Brock's key key phrase when we're designing a recipe is, "I want to be able to drink a pint of it, and then I want to order another one." And it works. When I when we design recipes, that, I think that's kind of what it is. How do you, what's the process to designing to that mantra? Like, you want to... So if we have an IPA, it's clearly you want a good aroma. You want some bitterness, obviously, but how does, how does the balance come within that? Is it, is it a, clearly there needs to be some type of malt backbone behind it. Or are you going to do a drier finished IPA? Um, so are you going to use... Are you going to mash in a little bit higher so that you have more residual sugar from, from your fermentation? Or are you going to use crystal malt in there to provide that sweetness? Um, I think that kind of comes into it. Uh, for brown ales or any like or a big stout, it's you need a higher amount of IBUs to balance out that sweetness. So, I mean, aiming for 80, 90 IBUs on a 10% beer is common, in my opinion. Um, because that 10% beer is going to be typically sweet and you need some IBUs to back it up. Yeah. Whether you should have two pints of a 10% beer, that can be debated, like like you just uh, yeah. <laughs> <No>. expressed. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Let's shift gears a little bit. Where are we sitting right now? We're in this like, really cool room. This, this is like your corporate events room or what? This is known as the iPub, also known as the Investor's Pub. So this is a private event hall that can be rented out um, and it seats about 100 people. Uh, to give uh, listeners an idea of what it looks like, uh, we're looking at a beautiful scenery of downtown Houston. Um, the, there's a Cheers-style bar where it's a rectangle bar that can be walked around it, uh, the, entire, uh, the entire bar itself. There's a beautiful pool, pool table-style lighting uh, that has the St. Arnold brand just pictured right on there. And then there's darts, there's... There's kind of German-style beer hall tables that's kind of communal tables, and then these weird, obscure, gothic-style pictures that Brock really likes. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, there is a lot of art in this place, in, yeah. in this room in particular, but also in the, like, the old beer hall and now also in the new beer hall. Yeah. Um, it, and I think you guys are known for you know, your art car, beer, and um, communicating, or, um, working, a lot, working together with lo local artists. Oh yeah. Um, what's what's some of the background there? Some of the story behind that. So key one there is Art Car. Um, there's a, a, f a parade here called the Art Car Festival, where a whole bunch of people who dress up their cars in a variety of ways go down on a parade and show off their art car. Um, it's a bizarre festival that I'm still unsure where the history comes from, and uh, uh, you see a lot of unique characters associated with that parade, and that's great because that's what Houston is. It's a melting pot of cultures, and, uh, and it's more diverse than New York, I would argue. Um, 
Anyways, but Art Car was inspired by that, so we kind of wanted to kind of tie in what is Houston? Well, part of Houston is the Art Car Parade. What is Houston? We also have our Alyssa IPA, which uh, proceeds benefit an Alyssa Tall ship that's down in Galveston, the same similar ship that was used to sell um, beer to to India when uh, British for the original uh, IPA. Oh so, wow! There's proceeds for Alewagger go to benefit Bark, which is a um, charity for for uh, for dogs. Um, White Noise was our winter seasonal is designed for a, a local concert here. So we, again, going back onto the community, we're nothing without them. So we want to show that. Kind of pay Houston in our regards by designing those beers and, yeah, celebrating it. Tell me about the new beer garden that opened up. Opened up in July. It's a... Uh, to me, I don't, I don't know if you've seen too many hop kilns, um, but when you go to Yakima, Washington, which isn't far from Seattle, it's a little bit, it's more inland. Um, the, when you look at the side of it, it looks like a giant hop kiln, which is where the hops are dried uh, during, the, during the harvest season. <clears throat> and it's a dissolving, dissolving building from internal, from inside to outside that's covered and then a non-covered patio. <clears throat> Going on the St. Arnold theme of the patron saint of brewers, we decided the inside kind of like a chapel or a, uh, a place to worship beer, I would say. And there's, instead of booths, we have chapels. So there's six chapels. Each, uh, each chapel is uh, painted by a unique uh, Houston artist. And they all have their own kind of, kind of flip on that, and it's pretty cool. And when you walk in, you're like, oh, yeah, this is a place to worship beer. And then you start looking around, it's like, each booth or each chapel is different, and it's yeah, it's it's a great it's it's good conversation starter. Yeah. Um, and then the fountain, the fountain is an actual brew kettle that's inverted. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. I was trying to wonder what that was like, what what that piece was. I, I, I as soon as I came around the corner, I was like, that's some part of the brewery, but I yeah. I didn't stand there long enough to figure it out. Yeah. That's too funny. Yeah, standing in a chapel though, it's like the uh, or whatever the that guess the corners are the chapels, but the yeah. whole the big building standing in the church is like. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's impressive. Like it feels like it's been there for a while. It's even though it's, I know it's brand yeah. new. Yeah, well, uh, we wanted to tie into our street. We didn't want to be this like eyesore of the block. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to make it kind of fall in line with the rest of this of Lions Avenue. Yeah, and the beer garden. I, one of my favorite places to drink beer is in Munich at all the German beer gardens and. I love drinking at that beer garden because it has that it has that feel. And once once those trees grow a little bit next door, it'll feel even more and more like that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Right now it's like six different cornhole setups, a couple of bocce ball. Yeah, that's really fun, really cool. And then yeah, the, this big old fountain right on a corner next to the patio. They got the outdoor bar. Um, and then I love how on the inside, though, like right where the preacher would be standing, you know, yeah. that's where the bar is. Yeah. And, uh, that's the altar. <laughs> yeah, the altar. Oh, God. That's God, so fucking funny. Uh, and, yeah, I just really, really enjoy it. And it's, it's really great that you managed to take sort of the, um, that sort of, that same sort of gravitas that I was trying to enunciate, <laughs> trying to talk about earlier, um, that you had from your old building. Because you kind of can't, you, the way you come into this brewery, 
um, was you sort of walk in through this giant wrought iron door, <laughs> and you get in, and you're like, okay, this door's really impressive. And then you're in this like old warehouse for a second. You're like, what? This is just a warehouse with a staircase. Like, where am I? And like, what is this? Yeah. You pass by the cargo elevator. You're like, this is silly. And then you, you come upstairs, and you kind of start to smell a little bit, and you make it around the old building up to the second floor. You pass by the office. You're like, ah, eh, this is just a building. And then you come around a corner into the beer hall, and it's all just dark red brick and stained wood and uh, impressive murals and just long bars and long bar tape and like German beer hall tables. That's it. And the whole thing is just this, it is a whole experience from being confused, walking in that door going, huh, what the hell? And then getting to the top is like, ugh, yeah, it's so cool. And then the same kind of thing happens on the other side where you sort of pull up and there's a sign that says, hey, you're in the right place. But you're like, where the hell? And you, you can, because you can see the beer garden there. You see all the bocce ball and you see the cornhole. And as you see the sign that says Santa Roll, and you start walking down the side of this building. And, you, and then you get to the other side and you're like, whoa, the fountain, you walk inside, javel. And, yeah. and the whole thing is, uh, it seems to be built in a way that creates this like experience of awe. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know how one can bottle that. Like you can't like no, you, can't. <laughs> you can't recreate that on no. purpose. That was amazing. Yeah. It's it's great. It's fun to drink our beer. It's it's delicious and everything at home. But it's a, it is a different experience too. And beer to me is is the beer experience is integral to where you're drinking. Yeah. And we got a pretty good setup. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um let's see. Yeah, I say that all the time. It's like ninety percent of the of, of the goodness of a beer is oh, the, yeah. what, the what how much fun you're having at the oh, time. Oh, oh hell yeah! It's, yeah, I'm, yeah. Flashing back to all the like the best the best beer that I've had is is always the ones that and I can always picture the experience where I'm at and that that impacts you. Like it was a Hellas on top of a freaking mountain in Germany, and it was like, well, the Hellas was like, yeah, sure, I've had better Hellases before, but. That was freaking awesome. That's yeah, just... <laughs> yeah, totally. So you've done the Oktoberfest thing over I've in done Munich? that. Nice. Yeah. I did that last year for the first time. It's yeah, pretty it's cool. a shit show. Yeah. <laughs> but I had seven liters that I can remember. <laughs> yep. I don't even remember what tent I was in, but yeah. <laughs> I remember the liters. But... I remember standing on the table at one point. I don't think I fell off. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've, uh, last year was a, it was a great year for us. We won Brewer of the Year at uh, Midsize Brewer of the Year at GABF. That was that was a great experience. Um, and it's some some breweries don't hold a lot of weight to competitions or judging. Um, I do because your peers are, are are judging your beer, and I learn a lot at those tables. Um, and another way to hold weight for your beer is how successful or how much you're growing. And it's like, yeah, that has a lot of warrant too, but um, that was a really cool experience. So what else has been cool? Hop selection. Hop selection is a lot of fun. Talk about it. Uh, we, with our size, we're, we have the ability to select hops for our specific brands so that we can aim for consistency. Um, there's some styles of beer that Consistency is not the main drive, lambic, et cetera, or, or anything with like mixed, cult, mixed culture fermentation. You can't really aim to batch one be the same as batch two, batch three, et cetera. So that's just kind of what it is. But a lot of our brands are in what our consumers expect is consistent products. And we can do that with 
with hop selection, being able to rub hops and ensure that, yeah, that smells good for our car and, and going with that. Partnering with our vendors to ensure that those, those consistencies we can I heard you were just up in Washington, weren't you? For you were in Yakima doing yeah. that hunt, doing that hunt for hops. Yeah. So you're, you know, you're saying you're rubbing the hops together, sniffing those oils, doing what you got to do. Um, but other than sort of like looking at the, the you know, one type of hop, you know, sort of staying in the same varietal, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, adding more hops or reducing it depending on you know its sort of alpha acid percentage that year mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, how do you? It, it seems to me to be crazy that you're like trying to blend different hops to sort of create this consistent experience. Is that more possible than I think it is? I think if you're aiming, you, you mentioned alpha acid, if you're aiming for specific IBUs, that's just a matter of volumetrics and IBU calculation. I mean, that's, that's algebra. Um, so we use that to, I mean, every single cascade that we get is going to be a different alpha acid, so we just perform a calculation to adjust for that, and that way we can keep IBUs consistent. Um, but there are times where we smell, let's say we smell this Amarillo and it has this huge, I don't know, peach pine character, but Art Car with Amarillo, it's more of a stone fruit. Um, why I said stone, I said peach, didn't yeah. And we aim for that, and that's a stone fruit. Oh. <laughs> Anyways, sometimes Amarillo will have this kind of this pine character with citrus, but we want the peach. So while this one does smell amazing, like this is more in line of. Mm-hmm. what we want our car to be kind of have to keep that in mind okay so you sort of have i think what I've, I've heard brewers say in the past like you kind of have a picture of the beer in your mind that you don't compare like you don't have you're not looking at that like it's got a, it's got a profile in your head you, and you can try to aim for that and throw whatever hops in you need to make that it's not you don't need to compare it to the previous year's version of that beer mm-hmm. you sort of compare it to your own canon you know of it yeah Okay. I mean, Maybe. every beer can be better. Yeah. Everything that we make can be better. So it's important to have, what is that benchmark? We have this poster in the lab that says quality is a death march. It's one of those like, de-inspirational posters, and it has this guy running down a, hi- a highway, and it's these rolling hills with quality. It's, a, it's more of a death march, because <laughs> there is no finish line with quality. So as we grow, we can afford more better equipment to analyze our beer, make it better, make it more consistent. So, yeah, it's, uh, there's a saying in, in the brewing industry that brewers are masochistic. So it's, and I definitely agree with that. <laughs> we lift heavy bags of grain and hops and we get on our hands and knees to scrub tanks and, and all in the name for this liquid and, you know, you're never done. Quality's never done. <laughs> um. Is St. Arnold a real saint? He was. Yeah. Painter saint of Brewers, uh, Bishop of uh, Metz, France, back in 600. Um, he was a very popular guy. Uh, he told his followers that water is evil and beer is good. Because back then, water would kill you because it was mixed in with the sewer system, so people would drink shit water, basically. And uh, he said, no, beer, beer will keep you alive and, and also make you feel pretty good. Uh, so he was a pretty popular person. Um, so yeah, real person. One of the one of his three miracles. I can't remember the other two, but the first one is pretty much what he's known for. Is when he died, uh, people wanted to give thanks to him, and so they wanted to serve beer, but they only had one pint of beer left. And the story goes is that the miracle of Saint Arnold was that that pint never went dry, and everybody was able to drink. 
<laughs> Cheers to that. Yeah. No, that was bad luck. We don't yeah, have we don't beer have in our cups. <sighs> okay, let's see. So let's do a quick lighting round. We've been chatting for a little while, and they're itching to kick us out soon, I bet. Um, lightning round. So what is your favorite beer you've ever had? It's an impossible question, but perhaps the Orville. beer that, Yeah. All right, easy. You thought of this one. Yeah. Okay, why? Why is that? Yeah, everybody has a friend from high school or college that you only see every few years. Um, Orval is Trappist beer. It's bottle conditioned with botanomyces. When you drink it fresh, it tastes like a nice hoppy Belgian pale. But then each, each time you have it and each time you see this friend over the years, it evolves. But it's still the same beer, but it's different. That's why it's my favorite beer. Because I know it's going to be good, but it's going to be a little bit different. So I just talked about consistency being really important. But I, for certain beers, it's important to evolve. All right. I've answered that one many times. That's, a, that's <laughs> probably one of the better answers I've heard. So good job. Um, what's your favorite beer they brew here? That you brew here? I drink a lot of five o'clock. I drink a lot of pub crawl. Uh, I drink a lot of lawnmower. Um, pub crawl has some, is pretty close to home. I was part of that recipe. Um, and then five o'clock is based off, is inspired by Pilsner Quell, unfiltered Pilsner Quell. And I've been fortunate to drink that beer in Pilsen, Czech Republic. And, nice. And, it, and when I drink it, it it always reminds me of that. So going based off the experiences again. Nice. Good theme. What are your three most inspirational breweries, the ones that you kind of idolize maybe, other than here? Uh, Russian River, Allagash. The third one I always kind of go back and forth on. Um, Firestone or, or Sierra. I mean, they're up there. But the, the two, the first two of um, would definitely be Russian River and Allagash. Firestone, Allagash, and Russian River. Let's pick those three. Okay. Of those three, Mary Bang Kill. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Holy shit. I guess... Uh, I guess marry Russian River. That way, I can always drink it, and I can't get it here. Um, I can't get Allagash here either. But I would, I bang Firestone because I know a lot of the the guys responsible for the beers over there, and they are super fucking smart. And I could learn a lot from them by just banging them. I think. <laughs> <laughs> And then kill Allagash? Oh, geez, that's awful to say that. Um, <laughs> ah, I couldn't do that, though. They're so good. Uh, it's either bang or kill Firestone or Allagash, but definitely marry Russian Rabbit. All right. That's a good enough answer for me. <laughs> that's funny. All right, dude. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you, Aaron. That was a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> Glad. Um, what do you say we grab a beer? I can do that. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. It was a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I cannot wait to come back to St. Arnold's again. I'm going to give me some of that Santo Black Kolsch. 
This has been Washington Beer Talk. If you like what you heard, then you can go to cyclingcicerone.com for more episodes or find the other episodes on Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, share, and hit that like button if you feel the need. See y'all next week. Music by The Vivisectors. Sectors.